0: Greetings and hello, fellow Trekkies. Welcome back to another episode of Yelling About Star Trek. My name is Chris Fox, and this is the show where I yell at you about all things Star Trek for your amusement. So I'm not yelling at my friends and family who really don't want to hear about my thoughts and opinions and theories on the franchise. Today, I want to talk about one of the most divisive aspects of Trek, known as the J.J. movies or the Kelvinverse. Those movies were incredibly popular, but they were also incredibly divisive because some people love them, some people hate them. More specifically, I want to talk about three things that I think those movies actually do better than mainline Trek. But before I get into all of that, make sure you get out of your space pajamas, put on your shiniest pair of boots, get a cup of coffee, get a cup of tea, maybe some iced tea if you want to pull the archer maneuver and strap in because things are going to get nerdy. JJ Trek, what can it possibly do better than mainline Trek? Well, in my mind, there are actually three things that it does so much better than Mainline Trek. And before you freak out, and before you get out the pitchforks, and before you want to you know, start a riot because I'm saying that J.J. Abrams does some stuff better than Mainline Trek, just hear me out, let me share my thoughts, and remember, I'm not saying J.J. Trek is the best Trek, I'm just saying that it does a few things better than Mainline Trek. The first thing that I think J.J. Trek does better than mainline Trek is showing you why Uhura, Sulu, and Chekov are on the bridge of the Enterprise and why it had to be them. Granted, in the original series, you do get a lot of instances where, you know, they do good work and you do get the sense that, hey, they're the top at what they do and that's why they're on the ship because they're the best of the best. But you don't really get to see them do anything that is so amazing and so incredible that you're like, wow, only they could have done that thing that they just did. I mean, let's talk about Uhura first. She's a communications officer. She's on the bridge. She's in every episode. But rarely does she ever get to do something that you're like, whoa, I can't believe she just did that. Uh, There's one example that comes to mind in the episode Who Mourns for Adonis. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And in that episode, she's able to do some, uh, you know, nifty handiwork to her console to allow them to actually cut through the energy field that Adonis has put up around the planet so they can kind of see what's going on and even communicate with the uh, away team down below. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive because she has to do a lot of stuff to get that to happen. But that's really the only example that I can think of where she does this amazing, incredible feat. In fact, there's a moment in Star Trek VI where they're trying, to sneak into Klingon space. So to do that, Uhura has to speak Klingon. And the problem is, remember, she's the communications officer. This is not even her first mission. She's a veteran at this point. She's three months away from retirement. And what does she do? She barely gets... Through. She barely does it to the point where the other Klingons thinks she's drunk because she can barely speak the language. And that's kind of a problem when you consider that she's the communications officer on the flagship of the Federation, or Starfleet rather, and doesn't know how to speak the language for their main enemy that they've been dealing with for the past, I guess, maybe 100 years, 200 years, I think it's 100 years, I could be wrong on that. But But the point is, she doesn't know how to speak the language of their number one enemy. And she's been doing this job for almost 27 years, I'm assuming, just based on the fact that McCoy says he's been doing it for 27 years. So roughly 27 years. But that is a long time. So for her not to understand Klingon and not be able to speak it very well is kind of embarrassing. So you're kind of like, why doesn't she know how to speak Klingon? That's a huge problem. Didn't she know how to speak that before? But in Star Trek Into Darkness, she speaks Klingon perfectly and kind of fools them so they're able to do their mission. And then in 2009, when she's first introduced, she's able to speak all the dialects of Romulan. And that's super impressive to the point where the communications officer had to step down and say, Hey, I I can't speak those languages. Sorry, sir. And she kind of makes them look incredibly incompetent and then she takes over the position and nails it every single time. And so in that movie you can see that's why Uhura is on the bridge, that's why she's on the Enterprise. And you know, and throughout the movie she does a lot more than just open up hailing frequencies, which Uhura in the original series was kind of limited to doing. So I think when you look at Uhura is a perfect example of Star Trek 2009 showing the audience why she has to be on the bridge of the Enterprise a lot more effectively than the original series. And let's talk about Chekhov. I hate to admit this, this is actually really embarrassing to admit as a lifelong Trekkie, but I really didn't realize that Chekhov was a genius until that line of dialogue in 2009. I always got this sense that, yeah, he was smart and that he was young. But I never got the sense that he was like a top-level genius. So when Captain Pike says, what about the Russian whiz kid? I'm thinking, whoa, Chekhov is a genius? I didn't know that. How come I never noticed that before? And when I think back to it, there's maybe only one episode where they even allude to that. And that's the Enterprise incident. And Kirk is saying, oh, you're supposed to be a genius. These calculations and equations are garbage. And so it's like Kirk saying, hey, you're a genius. Why does this suck? But it's there's never a moment of them going, wow, Chekhov, that's really brilliant. Only you could have thought of that. And then in 2009, he gets multiple moments where you get to see that genius play out. He's able to beam Kirk and Sulu up while they're falling without a parachute, which is considered to be impossible, and only he can do that. And then he comes up with this clever way of hiding in a gas giant to get onto the Narada so that they can do what they need to do. So all of that is incredibly impressive, and it shows you that only Chekhov could have done those really amazing things. And then let's talk about Sulu. He's kind of the final example of this. You're told that he's an amazing pilot, but he really doesn't do anything that incredible except for maybe when he's flying the shuttlecraft in manually in Star Trek V when they're you know about to be attacked by Klingons. So that's an impressive maneuver, but that's only in the movie. You never get to see that in the original series. And You know, in the original series, he pilots the ships, but the ship never does anything that incredibly like, whoa, only Sulu could have pulled that maneuver off. But then in Star Trek 2009, you get to see him do that when he's positioning the ship and then you get to see more of that in the other movies and you really do get the sense that, whoa, Sulu really knows what he's doing. That's why he's on the bridge of the Enterprise. And yes, I know there's that whole gag about the parking brake thing and it makes Sulu look a little incompetent but he makes up for that later in the movie when he does those maneuvers I was talking about. So in that sense, I would say Trek 2009 does a better job of showing us, the viewer, why those characters belong on the bridge of the Enterprise. And the second thing that I think J.J. Trek does a lot better than Mainline Trek is its portrayal of Captain Kirk. Now, I'm not saying that I like Chris Pine's portrayal of Captain Kirk more than William Shatner, because I don't. I think William Shatner is Captain Kirk, and that's what he does. But the one thing I think Trek 2009 does better with Kirk's character is they do a better job of making him more reflective and introspective and someone that fully acknowledges his mistakes and owns up to them. An example of this that really comes to mind is some dialogue in the movie Into Darkness when Kirk apologizes to his crew for everything that's happened and that has led them to a moment where they likely are all going to die. And he says, hey, we're all going to die. I'm sorry. And that to me is a huge thing because Kirk never apologizes for his mistakes. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but he never apologizes. And I think the best example of him not apologizing is The Wrath of Khan. I loved the movie, and Kirk does save the day in the end, but everything that happens in that movie is Kirk's fault. Yes, Khan's at fault because Khan's a bad guy, and he tried to take over the Enterprise, as Chekhov points out, but by not following and checking up on Khan and not telling Starfleet about Khan being on the planet, he puts so many people in jeopardy. In fact, I would say he's directly responsible for Scotty's nephew's death, and to the point where it's like, at the very least, Kirk should have said to Scotty, hey, Scotty. I know this is not going to help you, but this whole situation, it's on me and I'm sorry. If I had done my job a little bit better, then your nephew might still be alive. He never does that. He never apologizes to anyone. And it's not just Scotty's nephew that dies because of Kirk. It's everybody on the space station. It's Captain Terrell. And of course it's Spock. All those people die because of Kirk's actions. So he really should have apologized and said, hey, Everything that happened is on me, especially to Spock and Scott. He should have said, I'm sorry, you'll never be able to forgive me, but I want to own up to those mistakes. And, you know, that would have been a great character moment for him to realize that he's not perfect and that mistakes in his past do come to haunt him. And yes, he does have some introspection in the movie, but not to the point where he fully acknowledges why everything is happening and what he could have done to prevent it all. So that's always kind of bugged me. And I think it's really impressive that in Into Darkness, Kirk fully apologizes to everyone and says, hey, I'm really sorry. Everything that's about to happen is on me and you will likely die because of it. And I'm truly sorry. So, you know, I won't say any more about that, but I think it's truly impressive. And I kind of wish William Shatner Captain Kirk would have done a little bit more of that and been a little bit more introspective. And the final thing that I think J.J. Trek does a lot better than Mainline Trek is in the uniform department. Now, I'm not saying that the 2009 and Into Darkness uniforms were better. I don't think that they were. I like them, but... You know, I'm always a fan of the first contact uniforms. And to me, those were always my favorite uniforms up until the release of Star Trek Beyond. Because those uniforms and beyond, to me, were phenomenal. I liked the collar. I liked the thickness of it. I liked the actual coloring of it. The length was great. I liked the fact that the insignia was now actually a metal piece that was on top of the fabric instead of being in the fabric. So I just think they looked amazing. I think everybody looked great in them. I think Scotty looked amazing. Kirk looked amazing. Uh, Just, I don't know, I just want that uniform so badly. It's like the one uniform that if I could have and I could find it somewhere, I would totally wear it all the time if it was acceptable. And also Captain Kirk's jacket in that movie, also amazing. But those uniforms I think are the best that Trek has to offer. I think they're a fantastic nod to the original uniform so you know exactly what they're going for. It feels like original Star Trek. You get that feeling. But it also feels modern and sleek enough that... You know, you could actually maybe see a military organization in space wearing them. Obviously, they're not going to, but they look a lot less goofy than what we've seen in the past. So I think those uniforms are amazing. I love looking at them. And there's probably my favorite thing about Star Trek Beyond. I actually like a lot of Star Trek Beyond. I know that's also a divisive movie, but the uniforms, spectacular. But what do you think? Do you agree that JJ Trek did those things better? Or do you think there's other things that they did better that I'm not mentioning? Or do you think that they're just worse in every way when comparing it to Mainline Trek? Let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, let me know how you're enjoying the podcast. Are there things that you're liking? Are there things that you're not liking? Are there things you wish that I would improve? Let me know because ultimately my goal is to make a podcast that you enjoy listening to. And in the paraphrased words of Captain Kirk, I shall see you up there that away